Jason Scores, and welcome to another episode of Dispatch from the Zombie Apocalypse. I hope everybody is doing great. So the title for this episode is Tech Companies Are Forcing Dystopia Upon Us and They Don't Care. So not a particularly uplifting topic, uh, and unfortunately most of the topics I touch on here are not particularly uplifting, but we'll always try to at an uplifting angle at an end, something empowering at the end here. But I think this is very important. And the reason I'm doing this episode now, because obviously tech companies have been doing lots of bad stuff for a long time, but it's the really the new artificial intelligence systems that are being introduced in tech platforms that I really want to talk about. I think this is a substantively and qualitatively different and much scarier form of technology beyond the kind of general negative technologies that the social media companies have been pushing. So I want to start, however, with a kind of intro in how we got here to kind of set the stage. And if we go back to the aughts, you know, you know, kind of 2005 to 2010, the promise of social media was pretty big, right? It was this notion that we're going to have all these new networks that are going to connect people. And it started before Facebook. There was MySpace and other things. Then obviously Facebook came in and then there's been a whole series since then from Instagram to Snapchat, obviously TikTok and Pinterest and, you know, dozens of kind of tech social media platforms. Now, the irony here is, by the way, I call it social media because that's the term, but it's really anti-social media, right? This is getting you addicted to your phone. It's not social interaction. Clicking like buttons and viewing posts is not social interaction. Leaving comments, there's no direct interaction with real live human beings. So I just always thought the social media terminology was almost Orwellian because it's the exact opposite. But, but putting that aside for a second, we'll just use the conventional terms. Social media came with a lot of promise. And I'm going to be honest that I think I bought into a good deal of it. I was like, wow, you know, you get to see people you haven't seen in a while because you get to connect so easily through Facebook. So all these old high school friends. I never was into the like sharing pictures of each other and all that. You know, that was a little weird. But I was like, at least you could reconnect with people. You could create groups. And there were kind of causes you could follow. So I, I kind of bought into the, na- the notion of like, yeah, this could be a net positive for society, right? There's a basic intuition about connecting everybody and creating some types of online communities, right? And so I, I joined Facebook. I didn't join any of the other platforms, you know, but I, I had a Facebook account for a number of years. And then what quickly turned out in terms of the facts on the ground and the reality was that these promises were really illusory and that the social media companies and products and platforms were way, way net negatives for society. And so what have they 
you know, created? What have been the legacy of this decade to two decades of so it's really a decade? It's that's another thing. It's so new, right? And yet we're so in it, although it's so new. It's kind of this weird paradox. But anyway, we see massive increases in depression and anxiety. Of course, there's the huge amounts of misinformation, threats to democracy, and all the way bad actors have weaponized social media platforms to just spread negativity. And they are fueled by bad economic incentives from these companies, right, to kind of make you addicted to their products. They can get as much data because the data is where the money is, right? So you don't pay Facebook a monthly subscription like you do Netflix. So they make money off mining your data. And how they do that is keep you on the platform as long as possible. How is it to keep you on the platform as long as possible? Well, get you enraged. Get you feeling insecure so you want to check everybody else's stuff, right? So all the things that keep us staring at screens are things that are bad for our health. And so all the things are misaligned here, right? The bad actors have this technology. They can do all this kind of crazy disinformation. The algorithms amplify it. The economics mean they just want you kind of strung out on this stuff. So YouTube is going to throw you the next crazy video when you've already gone down the rat hole, you know, in the rabbit hole. They're going to keep throwing to do so. Everything that's kind of a perfect storm of bad incentives, bad actors, and in some sense, bad technology. Now, before I start sounding like a complete kind of Luddite here, I want to be clear that I think much of the Internet is great. The communication aspect, right? Zoom, cell phones, you know, even Skype in its day. Just the fact that we can communicate with people all over the world anytime for basically free once you have a computer. Obviously, you need to buy a computer. You need to have internet. But once you have that, the marginal cost is zero, right? Communication is essentially free. And Zoom is a great platform, and it's become incredibly valuable, obviously, because of COVID and even post-COVID. And then for people in the professional classes who do most of their work, you know, in terms of talking and writing and researching, I mean, the Internet's been incredible. The access to information for policy and research is just, it's, it's mind-blowing. I mean, I, you know, when I was going into grad school, I had to go to the library. You know, I had to go look things up in books and take books out of the library, right? I mean, that was 20 years ago, and none of that now. I can get everything I want instantly on my computer a lot of times for free so the convenience factors have been incredible and also for shopping you know i'm not into like buying everything online and having you know 10 boxes from amazon at your door every day but if you really need something it's great buying flights and a lot of you know things like that have become much easier and obviously google maps reviews like for example i'm big into cooking and the amazing recipes you can get online for free. There's no reason to ever buy a cookbook again, right? Everything's free. You have great reviews. You can really, you know, crowdsource the best stuff. So I think the internet and, and, and the communications technology has been great. And I think it's absolutely a net positive for society, those dimensions. The fact that you can be in a rural community or out, you know, in, in, in sub-Saharan Africa and take courses and get knowledge on things that you would never have had access to if you have access to a phone or a, a computer. It's, it's incredible. But the social media, the Twitter, the Facebook, the Instagram, the TikTok, a lot of times the YouTube, the Snapchat, this stuff is overall fucking horrible and has little to no redeeming value. I think 
absolutely on net, it is negative for society, right? Especially the fact that it gets people out of interacting with real humans and this whole kind of light culture and it's everything's become fake, right? Everything on people's Facebook feeds is like fake. It's bullshit, right? So it's just a net negative, the social media platforms. And we know this, by the way, right? This is not just me anecdotally saying I don't like social media. We have the data on, you know, teenage depression, on young girls feeling, you know, horrible issues of body image. And of course, this stuff predates social media, but it's gotten a lot worse, right? Obviously, the misinformation, the threats to democracy, the kind of COVID disinformation, all of this has gotten way, way worse because of social media. And yet, all this stuff has been documented, right? We have done barely anything as a society to address it. Now, of course, it is hard to regulate something that's fast moving like the internet, especially when our legislators are very old. That makes it even harder when you got 80, 90 year olds don't even understand the technology. And of course, the tech companies are extremely wealthy and they use their power to stop regulation. So it's a tough situation. We got old people who don't understand technology. We got things fast moving. We got lots of powerful interests. But for example, the EU has done way better than the US on regulating this stuff and they have the same pressures. So it's, we're uniquely bad about letting kind of capitalist organizations with lots of money just do whatever they want without regulation in the U.S. We are always slow to regulate in the U.S., just about every type of industry. And the bottom line is, if you cut through all the noise that the, the Mark Zuckerbergs are saying, you know, about how they, they, they want to do good and they're trying to, you know, improve their technology, you just need to look at their actions where they spend their money, how much, what legislation and regulation they fight, what they support. And it's clear they just don't give a fuck about the public good. Period. They just don't. Right? They are caught in a first mover disadvantage and a gigantic coordination failure. Right? If they do the right thing and make their products, you know, sane and healthy, they will lose market share because they're going to have to either charge monthly subscriptions or really reduce the kind of enragement and engagement algorithms so they're going to have less data and therefore less money. So nobody wants to go first. Nobody has the incentive to act responsibly, right? Hence the coordination failure. They're in a race for profit with almost no regard for public harms, even really bad public harms like threats to democracy or genocide. Facebook has been used to help genocidal regimes, right? And it's a horrible rat race that they are in. So again, I don't think Mark Zuckerberg is more evil than the CEO of you know Exxon or anything. But the economics incentives that he's trapped in make him do things that are almost even worse, right? And also, when I say rat race, that's an insult to rats because what we're doing here of manipulating people and kind of spreading chaos and anxiety and depression is much worse than anything rats are capable of. So look, while the tech CEOs are not always good or bad, although there's some really horrible ones, see Elon Musk, I mean, talk about a just evil right-wing troll. He's just like the poster child for that. They are also part of this larger hyper-capitalist system that incentivizes sociopathic antisocial behavior. So I am not optimistic 
that the U.S. Congress or the executive branch will be able to get ahead of this curve from, from the much greater threats to public health and safety that are coming with the advent of artificial intelligence. And so after the break, I want to talk about these new developments and what they bode for the future. Okay, so let's talk about the current state of affairs here. Most of you have probably heard about ChatGPT and then Bing, Microsoft launched kind of a Bing AI system in their search engine, and a lot more is on the way. One thing to realize also is that anything that comes out in the public domain is going to be constantly improved and using a lot of powerful technologies that will make it improve exponentially. So what was introduced a few months ago, the versions now are way more powerful. And then the versions in three months are going to be more powerful and on and on and on. So what we're getting a glimpse of here is just a tiny little glimpse and glimmer of much more powerful technology that is only months and years away. Now let me just say here, again, the, these tech companies know that their product is causing social harm. right? And what did they do? They let artificial intelligence into the public domain, so much, much more powerful technologies with no oversight, no guardrails. Here, people, go for it. Here's some artificial intelligence programs for free. Use them. This is the height of irresponsibility and recklessness, right? They knew what they were doing. They knew they were sending these incredibly powerful technologies into the public domain that we're going to have all types of unintended consequences and some that are actually very clear that I'll talk about in a moment. Now, I just listened to an interesting um, podcast with Sam Harris on his Waking Up podcast. I only listened to the first hour that was free. I don't believe that Sam merits paying for his services, so I only listened to the, the, the publicly free stuff. But that first hour was quite deep, and it was really Sam Harris at his best, by the way. I don't like it when he gets into his, like, political woke stuff he's he becomes kind of a right-wing troll but when he focuses on what he's good at you know talking about these deeper issues of ethics and artificial intelligence it was quite good and so I, I recommend you listen to it and he had Stuart Russell an AI expert from Berkeley on there and on that podcast Stuart Russell claimed and again this is direct from the podcast I, I'm not looking this up but I have no reason to doubt this that Microsoft knew there were problems with the AI in the Bing system, but released it anyway. They were like, yeah, there's problems. Let's just throw it out into the public domain, see what happens. Again, reckless, irresponsible. He also said that Meta, right, which is what the name of the Facebook company now, wants to use avatars in the metaverse to mine your data at even a greater level of sophistication and sell you shit from bots that pose as real people in the metaverse. So that's a lot of their business model. 
is that they'll have people posing as real people. You'll be in the metaverse and somebody kind of shares your musical taste or your professional taste. They'll kind of introduce themselves and become friends with you and over months and then start kind of dropping like, hey, I just bought this really cool thing. You might like it. And you not knowing that this is just an AI bot that's kind of trying to mine your personality and figure out what you like and then drop hints. Now, of course, you know, advertisers and, and social media companies are doing this all the time in terms of putting things in your feed, right? You search for a plane ticket to Mexico and then, you know, in the next two weeks while you're on the internet, there's all these Mexico airfare deals, right? So it's already being done, but this is going to be done in a much more sophisticated level, right? It'll be avatars, people talking to you as if they're real people, but actually just part of a really sophisticated advertising network. But these, in some ways, might be the least dangerous of all the things. These are just more kind of sick, twisted data mining operations. But the deep fake and disinformation apocalypse that is coming is really what's scary. For those of you who don't know, right, deep fakes is when you make a video or audio of somebody that looks exactly like them and sounds like them, but you can make them say anything, right? And I'll talk about some examples of this in a moment, right? And think about the huge numbers of unscrupulous actors who are out there who were just handed these incredibly powerful tools for free, right? So again, companies know that there are bad actors, might be 1% of their users, but still 1% of a couple billion that's a many millions of bad actors who now have incredibly powerful AI technology at their fingertips. Now, speaking of bad actors, I want to just take, you know, one minute to talk about, you know, the, the Fox News disclosures about, you know, all the text messages and emails about all these fucking sociopaths on Fox News who knew they were spreading lies in the 2020 election, etc. None of this is news to anyone with half a brain. We know Fox News and the whole Murdoch empire is just evil right-wing trolls who would literally sell their own children for profit. We know they're liars. Every last one of them is a sociopathic liar. But what these texts reveal is that they're also profoundly cowards and fascists, right? And that they hold their audience in contempt, right? Just think about the irony here. What Tucker Carlson, or what I like to say, fucker Carlson, and Sean Hannity, and all these just right-wing fascist, despicable human beings, and again, by the way, Hillary was right, deplorable, that's about right for fucker Carlson, and Sean Hannity, and Rupert Murdoch, right? The irony is their main angle to their audience is, the liberal elites look down on you, they hate you. Right, I'm here standing up for you because those liberal elites in New York City and Hollywood, they hate you. Now, the irony, of course, is that Fox News is based in New York City and all of these personalities live in New York City or in fancy blue districts and probably would, you know, they might spend some time in red states, but they would never live in Alabama, right? They live in New York City and California and the D.C. area. Anyway, but their whole shtick, is that the liberal elites hate you and look down on you. But the reality, and again, this comes back to my point that I've made over and over and over again, is that the right wing projects their own evil and own corruption onto others because they are the ones that hate their audience. They hold their audience in contempt. They think their audience is crazy lunatics and that they have to feed them this madness or they're going to lose them, that they can't tell them the truth, Right? So now all that comes out, and then what does fucker Carlson do the next week? 
He, he puts out video of the January 6th. And by the way, right, the leader of the House of Representatives gives exclusive access to footage of the insurrection to the worst right-wing fascist liar on Fox News. Just, just again, meditate on that for a moment. And what does he do? He shows a few minutes of people standing around not hitting cops on the head. And like, ooh, that's the revelation. Again, think of how stupid you must think your audience is to show them a picture of people walking around not beating people up and saying that proves that it was an innocent tourist thing when it's like a few minutes later they're beating somebody up. Like, just think about that. Like, my one-year-old could see through that. To, to, to hold your audience in that level of contempt is just shows how craven these people are. It's amazing. It's just an amazing thing. So anyway, these type of bad actors, the fucker Carlsons, the Steve Bannons, the Breitbart, the Daily Wire, all these right-wing fascist fucking lunatics now have much more powerful tools at their disposal thanks to Microsoft, Google, Meta, etc., Right? And so just imagine a bad actor who tells the artificial intelligence, hey, AI, hey, chat GPT, hey, Bing, make me a video of Joe Biden saying he hates rural white people and make it go viral. Right? Anyone can do that now. And this is already possible and it's about to get insane because how do you play catch up when there's dozens, hundreds of videos going around the internet? And again, then the algorithms, right? So think about the logic here. Someone's going to create this. It's going to get a lot of hits and likes and get people so mad. I can't believe Joe Biden says he hates white people. And then the algorithm is going to amplify it, right? So it's going to go more viral, right? So the, the tech companies, in effect, have gleefully, willingly, knowingly opened up Pandora's box, knowing that they will have no way to control it and that the worst actors in the world are going to be empowered by this technology. And most citizens are going to be at the mercy of going, what the fuck? How do I know what's real? Right? So now, I wish things weren't this grim. Because again, what I'm describing is a pretty grim state of affairs. But look, I deal with reality. And that's where we're at. Where we're at is the tech companies are throwing incredibly dangerous technology into the public domain with no safeguards, no guardrails, no understanding of how they're going to create the technology and the systems to prevent really bad actors from sowing a lot of chaos. So life is about to get much, much more crazy in the internet, especially with the 2024 election coming up. And by extension, you know, all of society is going to be reeling from this. I guarantee it. This is like two plus two equals four. And again, the tech companies know they're doing this, but their profit motives mean that they just don't fucking care. It's a really, really grim situation. So anyway, um, after the break, I'll come back with an antidote about how you should protect yourself and empower yourself for this new kind of information apocalypse that is coming.
Okay, so for the antidote, I have two very specific things to recommend. So we know this information apocalypse is coming. It's going to be way worse than anything we've seen before. So here are two things that I recommend everybody do to kind of insulate and protect yourself. The first thing, make sure you have some news sources that you trust and bookmark those if you haven't already, right? Whatever they are, newspapers, blogs, podcasts, whatever, where you know the people are going to do the work to not just report the thing that just came out that seems unbelievable because it probably is. But the people who are going to do the due diligence to, to, to you know, separate the wheat from the chaff and deliver good, solid news. Does this mean they will never make mistakes? No. But it means that if they make mistakes, they will admit it, they will retract it, and they will try to correct the record. These are people who are good faith actors. And again, on the zombie free media link on the website, I have a bunch of the news sources that I use, that I trust. And so I think this is going to become essential. Right? Just having a few news sources you really trust. Second point here. Assess whether you're happy with your current relationship with technology and social media. Because if you're not, if you go, yeah, you know, I use it a little too much. I, I really wish I didn't have the app on my phone or whatever. If you, know, if you feel a little ambivalent about your relationship, you're going to soon be way worse off. You're going to be trapped. Because they're going to be getting exponentially more powerful and manipulative in the coming months and years, right? And so this means that, you know, if you feel like it's kind of sucking you in, it's going to become almost impossible for you to release yourself as they get more powerful. Like I like to tell people, there are thousands of PhDs in marketing and neuroscience at the end of these technology platforms. And now they're adding to that lineup much more powerful artificial intelligence. So if you don't create safeguards on your use of technology, you're going to lose, right? So do yourself a favor and assess your relationship with technology ASAP and do it soberly. Don't just be like, oh, yeah, I have no problem. Everything's good. Maybe that's true, but really be sober. Say, am I, do I, do I use screens too much? Am I on these apps too much? Do I give away a little too much of my data? You know, do I spend too much time on this? Is this a really a healthy relationship? And I'll give myself as an example. I was on Facebook until after the 2016 election when Trump won. And I realized at least a part of the reason he won was all the misinformation and bullshit on Facebook. And I just saw what had happened in social media. I deleted my account. I have not been on Facebook since that day in 2016. I don't have any other social media accounts except I have a Twitter ID account that I use to read about 20 or 30 minutes of Twitter feeds of other people on average a day. I use it like a news feed. I have Paul Krugman. I have, you know, um, uh, Dean Baker, you know, and I, I kind of go through their feed, look, click at links and stuff like that. I might delete that too, but that's the only, you know, entry into the social media realm that I have. My phone has no notifications, so I'm not getting numbers on all the apps telling me how many emails I have. No notifications at all, right? My screen is black and white as default. So it doesn't look like a fucking video game. So I'm not hooked. You know, I, I, I probably use my phone a little too much, but I'm mostly, you know, using it for music, maps, weather, that kind of stuff, right? So the point here is we really need to take control both of our information feeds and to ensure that we have a healthy relationship with technology. Because if we don't today, 
It is going to be infinitely harder tomorrow. So do it now. Do yourself a favor and evaluate your relationship with the technology in your life to make sure you're getting the good, right? That you're getting it for research and for talking with your family and friends on Zoom and using it for meetings so you don't have to commute as much and save yourself time and stress of commuting and money, right? So technology is great, but there's a dark side to it and we all are susceptible to it. So I highly recommend you do that evaluation now. Because the technology is just, again, going to get much more powerful, much more addictive very soon. So with that, everybody, I hope you're having a great time and you enjoy the rest of the week. Um, As always, if you enjoy the podcast, rate it, share it with family, friends, and colleagues. Subscribe on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. And with that, everybody, be safe. Take care. (laughs) 